I'm Tom Henley, and this is Saga. Okay, full disclosure, I'm not Swedish. I am in fact English, and I just moved to Sweden about a year ago, but my love affair with the country started a few years back. I come from Southampton, the last town you pass through before you hit the waves of the English Channel and end up in France. You might recognize my hometown's name. It's famous for two reasons. Firstly, it was where the Titanic set sail, and secondly, it was all but bombed to oblivion by the German Luftwaffe in World War II. So I grew up in a city that had been devastated by the effects of a thousand bombs whistling from above. A grey city full of high-rise flats that existed in the echoes of the Blitz's boom. A few years ago, I found myself living in Dresden, Germany, another city famous for the bombs that ripped it apart. And so, when I moved to Stockholm, I thought to myself, finally, Tom, you found a city where no buildings ever fell. Surely, right? I mean, Sweden is a notoriously neutral country. But I was wrong. In the 1950s, 60s and 70s, you could easily have mistaken Stockholm as some war-torn city. The place was pockmarked with giant holes here and there. So many buildings were being torn down day after day. 750 buildings, in fact. This was to make way for the metro and to give the city a facelift. But before the 70s came to a close, a group of people effectively brought this makeover to a stop. This is their story, the story of Mulvaden. Well, my name is Marika Lagerkrans, and I'm living in Stockholm, and I've been doing that all my life. Mm-hmm. I'm an actress and a director, so I'm also been touring all around Europe and a lot in Sweden. I know every corner of this country. I, I, usually, I, I say sometimes, I don't know if it's true, but I've been around a lot. Marika was born in 1954, and so she got to see firsthand the facelift of Stockholm as she grew up. My father worked in the center of, of Stockholm and when I followed him to work or when I, I got to come into town, so to speak, there was a big, big hole. That's what, like, I remember. The big hole of, sort of, there was once something, but now we're building something new. And, uh, and the new the houses that came up were very hard. In 1977, Marika was in her early 20s. She helped create a theatre group called Your Circus, or The Earth Circus, if you translated it into English. Another member of the circus was Chris Torch. 
Uh, well, my name is Chris Torch, and I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I went to university in Amherst College in Massachusetts on the East Coast, and I came to Europe in 1975 together with a theater company called The Living Theater, which was a collective theater company that I had joined uh, during my last year at university and came with them on tour to Italy, where I lived for a couple of years. Uh, and finally came up to Sweden uh, at the invitation of some friends to do a course and uh, teach a course in street theatre. Together, Chris and Marika helped spread the word of the Earth Circus around Stockholm. And within a short time, they became well known for their elaborate plays that they would hold on the streets of the capital. But they had no headquarters. And we walked through the streets and we stopped in front of different buildings, uh, schools, police stations, etc. And we asked, is there any empty space here? Could we be here? We need a place to work and live. And of course, each place we were told no. Finally, they found a place that looked like it might work for them. And we uh, called out to the house, uh, could we use your house? And from inside, we had had people hidden during the night before with long pipes through the windows so that the whole house answered us. And they started lighting candles in the house and we took over the house for two days. And the police were standing in front of the house, but the walls started coming down behind them because people were behind. They didn't know that were be, uh, with the wall, the, the construction walls. So they, and the police, there was only five or six of them or eight of them maybe. And they gave up kind of after a while. And we had the house for two days. Uh, but we told them that it was temporary, that we were planning on moving out, that we did not have the resources or the capacity to hold it, but that we wanted to make a, uh, a point that there was a need for cultural cooperative space in the city. And then, before the winter of 1977, they were offered an opportunity that would shape the rest of their lives. And uh, Arki Lappalainen, a Finnish poet, came to one of our meetings once and said, they are planning to tear down the whole of Södermalm, it's a part of Stockholm, too, like they did with the inner city now. And we have formed a group and they promised first to, to listen to all our arguments and it was supposed to be a democratic process. But now they're tricking us, they're starting from the backside of Hornsgatan to tear down the houses. Can you help us? Your circus, we looked at each other and said, of course we will. <laughs> but we will, and then we moved in there. Um, it was a kind of half-filled house. Only one actually had a contract in the place, or a, a legal contract. And with the, on the basis of that, we moved into those houses with the people that had done this symbolic occupation, many of our friends, other cultural organizations. Some to live, some to have as working space. And we proposed that it was the Free Republic of Molvaden, the, the mole, uh, and that the Free Republic of Molvaden would cooperatively manage this place, and we, let's say, squatted it. News of Molvaden spread. It was front-page stuff, and it seemed to connect Chris and Marika with old friends. One of these was Miki Berg. My name is Michael. Or Mickey Berg, I'm uh, most uh, known as a photographer. I've been a photographer since uh, 69, 70. I was uh, on a bus on the, from a reportage in Spain and I read the paper and I saw that four houses was occupied in, in, in uh, Stockholm and I realized it must be my friend so I went there straight. And at that time I was living in a collective. So I went there and saw that this is my friends 
and I jumped into the place and stayed there. Mika moved in and became a part of the vibrant life straight away. He even found love. I met a very nice woman, Vivi, which I was very much in love with. Yes, uh, my name is Vivi uh, Havia. I, I came from Norway to, to Mulvaden. And I didn't come to Stockholm to, to join Mulvaden. I came to go in the theatre school here. Vivi's background was different. Before she moved into Mulvaden, she knew nobody there. She was a stranger, and so she had to kind of audition for her place in the house. I was interviewed by three of the people already living in the house to see if, if I was good enough. Mm. And I was asked about my, uh, my social capacities. <laughs> I was asked about my political views and occupation, or if I was a romantic or not. So it was really hard. It was, a, was, a, it was an exam to be able to be accepted as an, uh, an occupant or a squatter in the houses. I, I, was, I was then, uh, I got a yes. And so life in Mulvaden began. It was the first time in Swedish history that there had been a, a serious attempt at squatting in this more organized way. At one point we had invited people, there came masses of people, there was music on the streets and the windows opened at once and there were all the people in Mullvaden sort of painting and fixing the windows and music and, and the people from the kitchen group sort of served coffee and, and it was a great day. After a while it was very structured, there were different groups, you know, someone was making the food, someone was, we had a press group, you know, different groups, uh, big meetings. And that was one part of it. The other part was, uh, I mean, a lot of culture, a lot of music, uh, uh, funny times, uh, new friends. And the place was like open, so you can go in and out. One of the strengths with uh, Mulvaden was the ability to communicate between groups and also be able to see, uh, to see the pro and the negatives in each group and be quite honest with the uh, with the uh, communication uh, we had a very very elaborated communication with the press we talk about the owners of the house which was the municipality uh, we had discussion with us with a society we communicated very openly with the society with street theater we had uh, flea markets when we invited the neighbors we were squatters. We were left. We were um, we were leftists. We were anarchists. We were uh, uh, anti anti political. Uh, it, you know, it was a time between the mods and the greasers. But it wasn't just Marika, Chris, Mickey, and Vivi living there. A whole host of colorful characters stayed in the house. Marika remembers one such character, Electricity Sven, who as his name would suggest, helped the Carefree Theatre Group stay in the modern world by fixing all things electric. He, he looked so straight, you know. He was a little older than, than the other of us. He had a trench coat, a little hat, a little portfolio. And he came in and said, can I do something? And started going into, you know, where <laughs> the electricity was and fixing. 
And we sort of we didn't know how to deal with this in the beginning. We thought, oh, is he a, an agent from the police yeah. or what is this guy? And then we really learned to sort of, we were totally dependent on him and he was so great all those years. And he was, as far as I know, I, if I remember right, he was totally autistic when he was young. He couldn't talk, he couldn't deal with any people. And then sort of, he got out of it and started talking and it had something to do with electricity uh, that sort of got him to understand that you could connect to people and connect to the world. We were not doing this for ourselves because there was this whole thing in Sweden, you know, Janta Lagen, I mean, that who are you to come and think you can get an apartment when I don't have an apartment? And, and why do you think you can just walk in and take an apartment? Well, because the house was empty and they were letting it rot, you know, that's why. <laughs> but that, that doesn't, that's not acceptable within this, was not, especially in the 70s, acceptable in the Swedish thing. So we, we, we made it very clear that we were not doing this for ourselves. Yes, we would gladly stay if we would be given the opportunity. But for us, it would be enough. We would leave the house if they would make a reasonable study of it as a possible cooperative house under normal housing regulations and contracts. And we even paid rent into an account throughout the whole year that was not given to the uh, renter, but which we said we would release at that moment at which an agreement was made, which was never made. And so Mulvaden, for the time being, was a stable, creative and popular free republic. But there were grumblings behind the scenes. Mulvaden wasn't supposed to happen. The four houses that were being occupied were four gigantic thorns in the government's side. So, why didn't the police just pull them out straight away? Well, because it wasn't that simple. For one thing, most of the police in Stockholm seemed to be on the side of the squatters. That they did not feel that it was their job to solve this political problem and that we really managed to bring a, a wedge. And we think that one of the reasons why it took a long time is because police said, wait a minute, guys, you know, you guys are not willing to take responsibility and say, no, this can't happen, but you want to just, on some legal basis, get us to throw them out, and then you're going to cover it all over, and we're the bad guys. And we didn't look like them, but we, we knew what we had political goals. Um, we had very clear demands, things that we asked for. We were like a strike. We were, we were young people on strike in some way, and they had to deal with us as strikers, and police aren't sent against strikers in Sweden. You just don't do that. We decided that the police is not the enemy. Uh, so we went to the police and said, you should not storm. The politicians have to take responsibility for that. You should say that we are waiting for a decision from the politicians because this is a political issue. It's not a police uh, issue. Another important thing to remember is that if the police had decided to come and pull the squatters out of their commune, there wouldn't have been much resistance. After all, the place was a hotbed of non-violence. We were not there to, uh, to fight or to uh, whatever it was. Every weekend we had trainings in non-violence and we learned how to ch hold ourselves together but to not, do, not to do passive resistance. And the police were invited to when we were doing these trainings and they often, sometimes came, civilians, um, because, and they also started training so that when they came they had they had done training. They came as construction workers in overalls uh, with, you know, psychology and they asked questions and they sat down with us and drank tea and all of this. So the, the way you define your struggle also defines the way the, the response to your struggle is, is made 
if you act violently, you are received violently. It, today, they would not recognize our nonviolence because they would see it only as a threat and they would have acted within 24 hours. Since we called uh, Mulvan uh, a nonviolent action, I think communication is absolutely necessary, otherwise you become the, the freak in the strange houses. So we were, we were experts on communication on different levels. And I think that's one of the things I really learned. So for the moment, the police were no real threat. That's not to say that the place was void of danger. You see, the houses were never really empty, empty. When they first moved in, they found that the place was scattered with down and outs. And this was where the main danger sprouted up within the year that Marika, Chris, Miki and Vivi found themselves living in the four houses. There were two drug addicts in particular that Marika still remembers. They looked very beautiful. They were very tall, very skin, very much on drugs. It was like a, a movie. Yeah, really cliche, drug addict. They lived there when we came and they were on heroin and they were dealers. So they were scary in many ways. And, and they came in one night to, to me and Chris and said, uh, I think you should, you know, you really have to try queen heroin, they called it. We smiled and said, Peppan and Kriban, no, we don't do that. Yeah, it was always a, like a fight or problems. Yeah. But we, we tried to solve it the best we could, you know. It's always like that, you know, but um, it was a very, very funny time, but I was super tired after a year, you know, <laughs> because you like so much tension all the time. Yeah, when yeah. is the police coming and what's happening and, you know, trouble all the time. I was once shot at uh, when we, uh, by some guy who came back who was angry, who had come up to try to buy some speed. She said, stop, you don't come into this house. Poof! And he took up a gun. But Chris survived, got Saidank. It became a problem for the people that lived in the house. Some of them moved out, some became negative to us, and some stayed and tried to follow our rules somehow, but they couldn't really because they were still junkies. And there wasn't many of them, but when there came violence internally. Not just internally. Vivi remembers one night when the place was attacked by an inebriated motorcycle gang looking for trouble. We had, we had to close, we have four houses, but we closed four ports. So we had only one door open and we have a guard schedule. Uh, but some of the uh, bikers came into the house. We had a very good uh, cooperation with some bike, some biker groups, but not with others. And this was not the others. It was the others that didn't like us at all. And at the same time, we had visit, visitors from Christiania uh, in, in uh, Copenhagen. The motorcycle gang threw things into our windows and tried to break their way in and beat up people and so. Uh, as soon as we understood in the house I don't know really how there was something going on. Everybody comes down and mostly again the women comes down and we surround each person. Hello? So we sort of split them from each other and they sort of after a while they just leave the house. And the people from Christiana said, oh, you know, in Christiana it would have been fight. And then that is one of my proudest moments yes. because it was so, uh, and that happened all the time. Then when you heard something after a while, because you, 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 you learn, your ears learn to understand that something is going on before it becomes a catastrophe. 
And then we made a relationship with a, a local uh, motorcycle club called Sophia Hogs, which was uh, kind of more left, uh, uh, relaxed group of guys who really liked motorcycles but were not into violence at all. And they, de they, uh, they decided to protect us so that they made it clear to all of their motorcycle friends that we were a place to be left alone. But no matter how many bikers they intimidated or befriended or how many police understood their cause, the four houses were starting to feel somewhat doomed. And then, in that fragile moment, an idea was born. An idea that would make Mulvaden not just important, but iconic. Marika remembers how it came about. So I was sitting up and it was very late, it was three in, at night and I was exhausted. And Aki came in, Aki Lapparain, and said, Marika, the police are... are, are now threatening with that they are coming because the political process doesn't go anywhere anymore and the politician says no, which we were of course very sad about. And, and he said, we have to, they are threatening us with violence and we have to answer them by doing an opera. And I said, Erki, you're insane. We are no opera singers. We are, <laughs> we can't do that, it's impossible. And he said, I can't live if I can't believe in the impossibility, in the, in the umelia, in the impossible. So we started. Maskinerna ska dansa, de ska dansa efter våran pipa. Maskinerna ska dansa, de ska dansa efter våran pipa. Ba, ba, ba. People wrote music and we started rehearsing and in August we suddenly we opened up and three act opera. And we all landed back in front of our house and the last act was take took place in front of the Mulvad's house. It was dark and we had lights on the house and torches and we sang and there we were outside, outside the houses. And that was, was one of the most fantastic things I ever experienced. I was like, I worked constantly, I don't think we slept, but I was happy every second of it. The opera and the album that they made out of the opera was a success. So many people in Stockholm listened to it on their record players, learning the words of the occupation. The house knew they had created something special. What they didn't know, what no one knew, was that they would be hearing their own songs sung back at them by a thousand young supporters within a couple of weeks. The end had finally come. The house was about to be stormed. About a week before we knew it was coming, they warned us clearly that it could be at any time. They started immediately. But the group had been expecting this. The opera had acted as some musical foreshadowing of what to expect. And so there was organization within the chaos. 
we had different roles. I was uh, supposed to go to the attic. Uh, you were supposed to call somebody that was supposed to call. One was supposed to call five, and each of these five was supposed to call five. So we had a big organization for, for getting the alert out. I, my role was to be on the, on the attic and then on the roof. We barricaded behind where people were on the roof, uh, tied. Uh, we had a whole telephone chain. Uh, by the second night, there started to arrive so many people and they couldn't keep it under control. They had horses and uh, everything. They blocked off the two ends of the street, but the whole south side was filled with people even coming from other Nordic countries. And there were trains and buses on the way, at least they thought, or we thought and we hoped. We were thousands of people, 24 hours a day. My parents came with warm clothes because it was in September and that it started getting, it was really cold September that year, 78. And I cut out the electricity, and I cut out, I mean, um, yeah, all food supplies, of course. You couldn't come, go out and back and forth. And it was for three days. We were cut out for three days. And, of course, water is the most important. <clears throat> and uh, at, the, at the other side of the street, we had, we had contact with some neighbors. And it was a person with a catapult shooting from the other side of the street, over arrow to us, with a line and with, that came with buckets of water. And there were many people coming, so finally the third morning they decided that they had to go through the barricades and carry us out. And of course we made no resistance, there was no physical resistance. So first they sent in the police kind of with helmets and everything ready to encase and took down the big barricades that we had put up and everything. They asked us, you know, could you please leave now? And we said, no, you have to carry us. And they carried us very carefully down the four flights of steps put us on the street, behind the fences, let us go, and within two hours they had the de demolition crew inside, smashing all the toilets and windows. And, uh, and I mean, it was a very sad moment. I can only imagine how scary the whole thing must have been. The group took solace in the fact that none of the people tearing down the houses were old friends, police they had connected with. In fact, they were strangers. Hardly any of the police were actually from Stockholm. About 25% of the Stockholm-based police, they, they, were, they wrote themselves sick that day uh, when, it, when they were called to storm Mulvad. And so they had to import police from the south of Sweden up who were not uh, engaged in the, locally. Six months later, I was driving on a reportage somewhere up in the north, like 500 kilometers from here. And the police stopped me because I was driving too fast. <clears throat> and he took my driver license and looked at, hello, he said, are you the photographer? Yes, I said, I must tell you, I was at Mulvaden outside and I have never been so ashamed in my life. He thought, what should I do there? It's, uh, he knew it was wrong, you know, and they, they had brought him from Umeå, you know, pretty far away. But that was fantastic. And I still, I still, I'm, I mean, nowadays they say that we stopped the actual tearing down of Södom Alm in Stockholm, but I still think it's so strange that they didn't, I mean, they're talking about the society, that they really want young people to, to engage and be part of the society. And we were really, we were very young and we were extremely engaged in protecting our own city and our own society. And I still don't understand why they didn't listen to us. And so Mulvadum came to a dramatic, sudden and crumbling end. The Earth Circus stayed together for years afterwards, eventually touring the world and winning every theatre award you could name. They stayed friends, but eventually drifted off into their own respective careers. But Mulvaden's echo can still be heard in Stockholm. 
Will Varden's footprint can still be seen. You just have to look up and see the dates printed on the sides of so many apartment buildings and realise that Mulvarden was not only important, but legendary. As we always say, we lost the battle, but we won the war, because no other house on the south side of Stockholm was torn down after that. That did not have a serious reason because of construction problems or so. All of the houses that you see now that are from the 1800s around the south side, Hornsgatan, Krukmagatan, uh, San Paulsgatan, Timmermangatan, the whole area around there, plus even up here in Katarina, were supposed to be, according to the plans of the city, torn down in the same wave as Moldvada, and they were, they were not. Saga is me, Tom Henley. Theme tune is done by the goal-scoring Anton Beckman. And join me next time for more Saga. <laughs>